Welcome to the Transform Your Workplace podcast. I've got Mindy Lockard here today with me in person. Mindy, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. What's your background? What do you do? What do you coach people on? Well, I am a leadership and wait for it, etiquette expert. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, our don't topic. Get nervous. <laughs> don't get nervous. <laughs> people get really awkward around me when I bring up that word. But no, you know, my work for the last 15 years has been helping people feel confident in their own skin and to really connect with other people. Etiquette. How do you even get into a field like that? Well, it's interesting. So I have a soon-to-be 16-year-old, and when she was three months old, just laying there, I decided (laughs) to start a business because what else do you do? Why on earth (laughs) would you do that? (laughs) Foggy brain. No, I had a friend who knew that I had gone to finishing school when I was eight, and she asked that I would teach her daughter etiquette. And I declined at first because finishing school at age eight does not make you an expert when you're 28. And so I said I would find a program in the area and I couldn't find anything. And so, you know, and the internet back then was a totally different space. But I did find a school called the Protocol School of Washington, which is considered the Harvard of the etiquette industry. It's on the East Coast. And because I just had a baby laying there, I put together a little business plan and pitched it to my husband and flew out and was trained and certified and flew back and brought the curriculum back in a suitcase because that's how long ago it was. And yeah, just started doing programs actually for kids and college students and then parents of kids who saw the dramatic change in their kids Oh yeah, wanted to have me come into their workplaces and so it evolved that way. So many things going through my head right now. So like, (laughs) let's keep going back when you started Uh this path of etiquette. When you're doing the schooling for this certification, what sort of things are they even coaching you on? Like, is it the type of people, like generational differences? Is it in different settings? Give me some sense for what you were really coached on. Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, and I think we have a bit of a misperception of what etiquette is. One of my favorite books is called Choosing Civility, written by Dr. P.M. Fornay. And he is a professor of Italian history, I believe, at Johns Hopkins University. And what he found is that in working with his students, what he realized that he wanted for them more than understanding Italian history was that he wanted them to be good people. And so he created a program called the Civility Project. And I would say that that's where this comes from for me. It's where the kind of the fundamental values of the Protocol School of Washington is that we choose one version of ourselves over another. And it's really etiquette that it's the rules of the road. It teaches us how to walk into a room and say, oh, you know what, I've got this so that I can get over myself and actually invest in other people. I love what you just said there. Like you choose one version of yourself. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought about it that way. But like if, if you think about it, you walk into a meeting you have a choice. You have a choice. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, really, it's so often in this industry, you know, the 85% of our job success is related to our people skills. 15% is your technical skills and job knowledge. So that 85% really comes down to the confidence that you have in yourself so that you can get over yourself and listen to other people and remember their names and know things about their families that you can build rapport and connection with them for projects and interpersonal communication. So how much of etiquette is like just how we show up and present ourselves? Most of it. It's like like a self-awareness thing, right? Absolutely. And I think the humility to say, I'm going to choose this version of myself over another. I think sometimes we live in a world that says, just do whatever you want to do. And I think when you show up to be comfortable, a lot of times you don't necessarily communicate care. 
And when we're insecure or unsure, oftentimes our nonverbal body language communicates arrogance or a lack of care when really it's just nerves. When you're going through the schooling and certification process for etiquette, do they, they really teach you to coach people at a certain age? Well, it's interesting. That's a great question. I mean, to be completely honest, etiquette is not rocket science. Okay. I know. I know it's a huge surprise to you. But, but I feel it, like it's something that's ingrained in you at a, such a, probably is, a young age. It's the same things that I teach emerging professionals or that yeah. I teach people who are in the middle of their career that are wanting to make a switch are the same exact things that I would tell a four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old. And it's obviously the presentation is different, but the skill sets aren't different. It's eye contact. It's posture. It's interest in others. It's learning how to actually have a conversation with people. And the earlier that we can teach our kids this information, the better off they'll be and more comfortable they'll be in their own skin when it comes time to pay their bills. Because you run your own business. If you were to be in a work environment, let's say we're at Zenium right now in the mm -hmm. office, if you were to walk through the office and just see people's behavior, what they're doing, because you're an etiquette expert, would you be able to pick people off in terms of like, oh, they weren't trained properly, they don't know proper etiquette, things like that? Does it drive you nuts? Well, it's funny. I always say this, you know, I can be speaking in front of a group of 300 or 20 people, and I can tell who is confident in their own skin and who isn't. The one thing that I always say is the only people that I judge are my children and maybe my Good husband sometimes. Not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but right, when of it course. comes to, you know, etiquette <laughs> and manners go hand in hand. So manners comes from the Latin root of the word manus, which means of the hand. So manners are really the spirit and heart in which how we handle ourselves and other people. And so judgment is very rude. <laughs> so I don't judge. Okay. I try to help, but I, I like don't that. judge. So when you talk about etiquette, what's the spectrum? It's in person, obviously. Now we have technology. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you cover with etiquette? All. Everything. I mean, I would say if you are connecting with another human being, then I cover it. It's really interesting, though. I was listening to a podcast from the Wharton School of Business as I was traveling down to speak in Eugene a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about tone and bots and how in the finance industry now, there's bots that are actually determining the tone of someone when they're talking about, you know, something that's coming to market or investment that's actually telling people whether someone's confident in investment or not. So technology and interpersonal communication, the lines are kind of getting blurred. They are because like I think technology is trying to do a lot of this stuff for it us. Is. Like you're, you're saying yes. like they're almost taking the emotion out of mm -hmm. our So they're able to, you know, detect if you're excited about a product or an investment or not. And from that equate its value. That's fascinating. Fascinating and unbelievable. It makes your job probably hard, right? Like how do you adapt to that? Well, you know, and I think that so you asked kind of what I do. I teach everything from nonverbal communication, you know, especially for emerging professionals. How do you build a network, a really strong network of people that's diverse? I think a lot of times we think of networking as a very corporate term. I like to think in networking more organic and that you're actually weaving a social net if you think about it from a visual standpoint. And making sure that you don't have major holes in it, that it's tightly woven. And all the way through technology, emailing, social media, all of those things impact. We don't live in an interpersonal silo of face-to-face -face and then social media. It's all the same. 
And then dining etiquette, obviously. The fork is so connected to knowing which fork to use. I mean, yeah, it kind of runs the gamut. Yeah, and they're also vastly different too. Like I think with like texting and and social media, Mm -hmm. communication varies based on the platform you're on or even, you know, when you're in person, like Mm -hmm. shifting the way you behave. Like how much of this is a kind of a cultural norm thing too? Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure you're having to constantly say, okay, here's the updated standards on etiquette because the culture is changing. Well, absolutely. I think gender roles are changing a lot. And I think that etiquette is progressive. And etiquette actually comes from the desire to treat other people well and to care about ourselves and to like ourselves. And so I actually think that as we're emerging into a more inclusive world, etiquette is a value that's so connected to that. Yeah. So in the workplace, what's a proper etiquette for a meeting, for example? What do you see people doing wrong? I guess if you're in a business meeting, there's 12 people around a conference table. What do you often see people do that is just improper etiquette? So give some examples. You know, I think what's tricky is the idea of confidence and arrogance. And when we show up to a meeting late or unprepared or distracted. You are speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) Don't show up late, people. Don't show up late. When you show up late, unprepared or distracted, you unintentionally are communicating arrogance. What your time is not important to me, that I'm so busy that I did not have time to prepare for this. I didn't read the email completely that you sent, or I didn't read the memo that was on my desk. And that takes their time. If people have to bring you up to speed in a meeting, those are the types of things that say, you took the time to do it. I don't know if you know this, but my time is way more important than your time. (laughs) Yeah. And so often that technology has created a lot of distraction for us. And we live in a space where we're spending a lot more time in other areas that we should be spending on preparation. And the other thing is, is because of that, we also tend to be very distracted and our attention span has decreased. We can no longer do five or six minute videos. It now has to be a two minute video. It's unbelievable. The standards are changing because of the attention spans. So a 30 minute meeting is really challenging a generation or an hour. And so I think that showing up unintentionally arrogant is one of the major things that I see. And they're really super easy things to Yeah, change. okay. So give some example. You already said like showing up on time or, or not showing up late. That would be a good sign of respect, right? Showing up on time. What other things to avoid arrogance? Well, I think you show up prepared. You make yeah. sure that you've read all of the material that has been sent in advance. That shows respect to the person that actually spent a lot of time putting that together. And you come with questions so that you seem engaged and interested. We all know that person that takes up time in the meeting trying to get up to speed. Yeah. And it's about trust when you're building a relationship with a client. Trust is one of those things that's really hard to put your thumb on, but we stop trusting people when they seem unprepared. Yeah. You're so right. Like, I feel like some of these things are easy. You even said that. But if you were to do it correctly, like a lot of those quick wins probably leads up to building trust. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Again, it's that 85%. You know, we talked about this, but I also have junior high and high school programs. I work with college students. And this generation of student, this is a really important conversation to have as they're entering into the workforce is this understanding of 
self-awareness and care for other people, especially for a generation that has been incredibly coddled. And, you know, we have the helicopter parent. I might be one teaching of those. Teaching so, them. Yeah. So in my junior high program, we start this very young where they have to schedule a FaceTime appointment with me. They have to come prepared for that FaceTime appointment with questions to ask me. And if they are late at all, they have to reschedule the appointment. And so it's like even a minute or two late. It's a five minute rule with them. But but I won't answer the FaceTime call if they call me after five minutes. And really, I want them to call on time. And these are things that we have to talk to each other about and put back into the fiber of our homes and our workplaces, just respect for other people and their time. Yeah, it's interesting that you're working with kids at that age, because what that says to me is that parents aren't really doing it or in schools are not really teaching that a whole lot anymore. By the time that people grow up and get in the workplace, for an employer to then see like, wow, this person doesn't have any etiquette, like what happened? All those years where people haven't been taught that, like what's going on there? Well, you know, some of it I think has to do with a lack of resilience of a generation. And I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on ghosting, which is an issue. Oh, gosh. But, you know, I think that, you know, when you think about a metal that's refined, it has to get hot before you can bend it and mold it. And that's the same thing for our kids. And our professionals, especially for college students, is you have to go through seasons where you're in the fire and you have to make mistakes and you have to not burn others, but things have to heat up sometimes for us to actually learn and grow. And I don't think it's that parents have done things wrong. I just think that we have kept our kids from failure for so long that when things do get hot, it's such an unfamiliar feeling for them that they equate it with shame and failure instead of opportunity for growth. And it's hard because then they don't have the skills and then they ghost. They just stop showing up. They don't. Just like kind of melt down and. Yeah, they just disappear. Really? Yes. So explain that. You've seen this or heard? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's kind of an epidemic in emerging professionals. Really? Yes. And especially in women. And, you know, part of my work, you know, there's so much opportunity for girls and women in the professional world and equality. Mm -hmm. And yet the systemic way that we're raising girls hasn't really changed in terms of the expectations that we have of them, the exposure that we have, dealing with drama and self-confidence and So the tricky thing with ghosting, and it's happening a lot in colleges and actually in the intern programs where they just can't have a difficult conversation to say, I've taken another job or this isn't going to work for me. And so they just don't show up. I actually had an intern, super bright girl, business major. We were doing some research and she got busy during finals and felt really bad and took all my research, unfollowed me on all social media no and just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be kidding me. No. And I've talked to colleagues within the university world and this is, this is it's happening. not just me. It's funny. In the HR industry, I'm always looking at articles and you know, content for ideas and things like that. And I keep hearing the ghosting thing mm-hmm. pop up. Like, you know, in interviews, like you offer somebody a job and then it's like they just don't show up. Right. I, I really had never seen that. Yeah. But it's happening. It's definitely happening. In fact, one of my colleagues that I've worked with in the accounting industry, which is surprising to me, I could see it in PR and other industries that tend to be more fluid. But accounting is 
pretty systematic. (laughs) And, you know, she said last summer was the first time she actually had to call parents to make sure that there wasn't something medically or physically wrong with the intern or the new hire because she was actually worried. She's never had a situation like that before. And so it is a trend that we are seeing if just the inability to own behavior and to have those really hard conversations. It's crazy. This generation that that are coming into the workforce, I think there is a Gen Z, they're coming into the workforce. If you're saying that these behavior, it's like how they've been brought up. How does an employer deal with these? Can this be changed? Like, I believe that it can. My programs uh, focus on this. I think that my programs for colleges and universities focus on this and also for kind of new hire and intern programs. The one thing I find that hasn't changed is care. I think that people still care. I think that emerging professionals, seasoned professionals, teenagers, they still care. They want to do what's right. They want to treat other people well. The opportunity and the accountability is what has changed. And so it's just education. And I think conversations have shifted. I think, you know, classrooms have gotten larger. So their interpersonal connections with their teachers has changed. And so it's not that this is a rude generation or the parents are I mean, this is, I'm of this generation, so I'd love to say, (laughs) we're not horrible people. It's different. And so I think we have to continue to have these conversations. We have to have interpersonal workshops that educate and provide opportunity. I mean, really, there's a light that goes on with people when you talk to them about, it's okay to fail. I mean, some people have never heard that before. Failure is going to help you. You have to embrace failure. You have to embrace mistakes. You have to let go of the imposter syndrome that's running through your head of someone's going to find out that you're not X, Y, and Z. Like all of these things are not abnormal. It's totally normal. And you have to just embrace that if you want to grow as a human being. Something I think like employers have probably an opportunity and maybe you coach employers on this, but you know, like mission and values is I think so important to organizations now because you can attract a certain type of person like that sees the world that, you know, the same way that they do. And like, you're a good fit because you kind of believe in the same things. And I think like in the onboarding process would be a good opportunity to say, hey, here's what we believe. Here's you know respect and trust and integrity and all these things that we think are important. And here's how to behave. Like that's a probably a good time to set standards, right? Because a lot of people coming in probably just haven't been coached on what the norms are. Absolutely. One of my programs is actually designed for onboarding, but it's also designed for morale and connection is a growth mindset program. And I think that that's one thing so based that on will, Carol Dweck's work. Yeah. yeah so that. one thing that, that will help employers is to let this generation know that they're coming into a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset. Because when you talk about the fear of failure, that's a fixed mindset. And so bringing them in and presenting the values to them, and this is what we do in the workshop, and talking about how you can bring them into the values of the company and let them pave the way of what that looks like in terms of actual specific behavior. So the one that's tricky thing with a generation that's very idealistic and afraid of failure is the fact that they will tell you what it should look like, but they don't actually know how to do it. 
So when you actually talk not just about values, but you also have to connect that with actual behavior. Yeah. So we want to have point. good customer service. And that's what does great that look to like? say. So we <laughs> yeah. can say we yeah, love people. We have me. great. But when you actually get down to all levels of employee, you know, what does that look like for specific jobs and what are the tasks that they want to take personal responsibility for in making sure that that value is lived out on a daily basis? And when that doesn't happen, that's when the growth mindset comes in. That is such a fantastic point because I would think like, okay, so I have on the board there, I have our value statements. It's take ownership for my success, speak openly and sincerely, be a source of inspiration, develop and foster relationships. We call that the Zenium promise, okay? Those are four statements, but without action behind those in terms of like, okay, speak openly and sincerely. What does that mean? And when is that safe? That's the, That's you know, so those are some things. And so not just having that from the top, we're telling you this is what you have to do, but start from kind of your entry level positions and saying, what does it mean for us to speak openly and honestly? Not just in you did a great job, but the hardest thing, especially for a generation that fears failure is when it gets tough, what does it mean to speak openly and honestly? And what is safe for you to be able to do? Which is really tricky too in looking at a society where it's very black and white. You know, we are seeing a lot of people get fired and rightfully so, but times have changed where this was okay 10 years ago and it's not okay now. So there is a lot of fear in terms of when you say I can speak openly and honestly, where's <laughs> like, the line? Like radical candor, <laughs> right, like that exactly. kind of thing? Or, so, you know, and when's the right time? You know, that's the 85% is we have to get in there and really provide a safe place for employees to know where the boundaries are. You know, kids love boundaries. We all need boundaries. And I get this question a lot. So what is safe now? Everything's off the table. And my answer is always, when you're kind to all people and respectful to all people, then you're going to be fine. It's crazy because the norms are changing. The meaning behind words are changing. and Our behavior is changing. I think of like words we've used 10 years ago or like sometimes they're politically incorrect now or people are offended. And you say like, okay, as long as we respect each other and there's well meaning behind it, but sometimes it's just changing so much. It probably keeps your work very interesting. I guess what I'm saying is things are changing so much. What is respect now is was different 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my mom and I will have conversations and I'll say, you can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. You know, and this is the thing that's hard is it's systemic. Yeah. And it seems ignorant, but it's systemic. It's ingrained in exposure and experience and parenting, Mm -hmm. how you were parented 20 years ago. That's what I love about uh, you're talking about the growth mindset. I think that's what's so important to realize in this conversation is that the standards are changing. The norms are changing. Etiquette is probably different. It's going to be different next year versus... The fork won't be different. The fork won't be, yeah. (laughs) We'll get into some of that stuff. But I think you have to constantly be growing and evolving and keeping your... And staying staying up on it. So let's get into some of the detail-oriented stuff. This is going to be fun. So let's talk about like an event. For example, there's a dinner. We talked about like, okay, let's eat properly I could say that. I don't know what that means. Like, what is a proper way to eat when you're with a group of people? Is in terms is this a social dinner or is this a professional? <laughs> oh, you're killing dinner? me. Um, let's see here. Let's say this is workplace oriented. Okay. So it's a holiday party, uh, plated dinner, family, coworkers. It's formal though. 
So help me. Okay, I'll walk you through. So when I do corporate etiquette programs, the one thing that I love to do is to kind of diffuse the energy around nerves or people that just think this is ridiculous. So I always have those two people, some that are like, why do I really need to know this? And the people that are nervous, people arrive with just a pile of utensils in front of them. And then we set the table together. So understanding the dining etiquette is actually designed to make our lives easier. It's actually designed so that there's rest and finish positions depending on where you're traveling. So if you travel abroad, you need to really have a continental style of dining down well because Europeans start teaching dining etiquette in kindergarten. So it's cultural to them and respectful to them. So if you travel outside of the United States for work or pleasure, <laughs> you, you better need to, you learn. Need to yeah. know this. Yeah. And I'm sure there's videos on the internet that you can probably watch, right? Yes. That teaches are. you all about this. But understanding the place setting, it's like a map. So if you sit down and you have two forks, two, so... And that would be on the... The left. The left side. So left has four letters, L-E-F-T, fork has four letters, F-O-R-K. Okay. That's how I you like the, the word association. That's good. Knife and spoon, five letters write five letters. That's how you remember it goes. Okay. And then if there is a fork and spoon above the plate, then you know that that you're going to have a dessert served with ice cream or some sort of a custard. So you can look and kind of know this is what's coming for me. So you can relax a little bit and focus on the people around you. That's the whole goal. So in terms of etiquette, I would say the things to know is the person who's made or paid puts their napkin on their lap first or takes the first bite. If you're seated at a table like a holiday event and you're not with the president of the company who's most likely paying for it, Mm -hmm. technically, you wait for three quarters of the table to have their food. You don't have to wait for everyone. Okay. That's interesting. I would think wait for everybody to start eating. Right. But it's actually rude to the chef to let your food get cold because they've designed for it to be eaten warm. And so three quarters of the table will allow you to be able to do that. And uh, go back to the napkin thing. So when do you put the napkin on your lap? Three quarters of the table or the person who's made or paid takes their napkin first. Meaning like the food has to be served at that point? No. So let's say we're sitting down. President of the company is at our table. You wait for them to take their napkin to put it on their lap. If they don't know this, that they should use a napkin, (laughs) then you just put it on your lap. Okay. And then let's go back to the placemat. So there's the forks on the left, got the knife and the spoon on the right. What about like glasses, wine glasses, water glasses? They're on the right or the left? So because I'm imagining tables that are so crammed together right. and sometimes it's hard to know. It's hard are these to are know. my glasses. Exactly. Or? So you do this. So for people listening, you make like an okay sign with both of your hands. Okay. So your left hand becomes a B. Yep. And this is a D. And this is how you know this is your bread on your left and your drink on your right. So this is okay. going to be your bread plate and your drink. Good to know. So because it happens, they put Thank you. 12 people around <laughs> what should be a 10-person table. I'm learning here as we go because I like to think I'm respectful. But some of these things are just, you just don't know. Well, and again, it's about trust. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you don't like someone who has bad dining manners, but you may not trust to bring them to a certain event That's because yeah. of how they represent the company or you. I work with most junior and senior athletes at the University of Oregon. They have a program called Oh Heroes. And so I do two etiquette dinners a year for student athletes. 
And then I also have a program for teen girls and their moms in Portland, just helping break some of the systemic concepts around girls and leadership. And we have speakers that come in and we had a speaker come in from Nike who was talking about confidence. She was our values or bravery, confidence and authenticity. And she came up to me after it and she said, Mindy, I don't know if you remember me, but I played lacrosse at the University of Oregon and I came to your etiquette dinners. And she said, my first day at Nike, I was really nervous and I was invited to a huge dinner. And I sat down at this dinner and I looked around and I realized, oh my gosh, it's a thing that what you talk about, people actually know and use the skills that you are talking about especially in how you hold your knife and fork. I mean, if anything can give away that you don't know what you're doing or you've never paid attention, and that really is, you should use your knife and fork well, and there really is only one way to use it. And if you haven't ever looked outside of yourself, and she said, I'm so grateful, and I was so happy because her name's Allison, and I said, it's a thing, it is a thing, I'm not making this up. I mean, people sometimes look at me Or the number one question I get from this emerging professional generation is, can I just do whatever I want to do? And the answer is no. Like there is respect for tradition. And this tradition goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, the history of Napoleon and and styles of dining, I mean, it's ingrained into our society. And if you haven't paid attention to how to do it, it comes across as arrogance. And that's the funny part is I think it becomes an awareness thing. Like I am learning so much right now. And (laughs) when I first learned about this subject and Susie on my team introduced us and I was like, oh, etiquette sounds interesting. I've never covered that before. It seems like it's important. And I like to think, okay, I've got good etiquette. But at the same time, in hearing you talk, I'm like, oh my gosh, how much have I misbehaved in the past? Because I really haven't learned all yeah. these things on the upper end of a millennial. And you're right, like these traditions, people are probably judging and I don't even know it. Yeah. And I think that that's the hard thing. And like you said, it's not that you've gone about this because you didn't care. You just yeah, didn't exactly. know. And it used to be taught in schools. It used to be more part of our culture. You know, when we look at emerging professionals and, you know, these generations, the sports world has consumed our upbringing. Club sports start at a much younger age, which means that families aren't coming together anymore and sitting down. And the passing on of the legacy and the stories and the things that make the fiber of who we are and where we've come from, those are the things that in our fast-paced world we're losing sight of. And those are the things that give us confidence. It's showing us how to do things so we can show up to a space and not have to worry. You know, I don't teach etiquette to create a society of snobs (laughs) at all. (laughs) That's not how I'm taking it. Uh, Yeah. But that's how people think of it sometimes that we're here to judge. But really what it is, is it the ability to come into a situation like Allison and say, oh, I've got an arsenal of social tools here that I can get over myself. I know how to eat the bread. I know how to eat my soup. I know exactly what to do with my fork and spoon there at the top. Then I know the spoon's not for coffee and the fork's for the dessert that I have to use them together. And you can get over that and actually listen. That's how you network is by listening and connecting. I love the way you frame that up because rather than just saying, oh, we need to learn this to fit in with the upper class snobs that you're describing. It's not about that at all. It's about showing up, 
So you cannot worry about any of this stuff and you can listen and have a conversation with somebody. That is brilliant. I wouldn't have thought about it that way. Well, and you think about your professional success, most of the time, the things that hold us back is our internal dialogue in our heads. And confidence and etiquette actually calms that voice of self-doubt and fear and allows us to pay attention. Yeah, no, I love that. So I want to cover a couple of things before we part ways here. Talk about you do a couple etiquette, like dining etiquette, like workshops or like, how would you describe that? Because I think people listening would be like, I'm going to send my people there or maybe they need to attend. That sounds like I probably need to attend as well. (laughs) That sounds like a great idea. Like what is Yeah. So I have three workshops. I obviously I do custom programming, but I have three main workshops. One is the growth mindset workshop that we talked about. One is a dining workshop. And it's great because it's actually team building. You know, food is... So like a team would go to this. A team would go to it or companies hire me to come in and do a team dinner. And it's usually about 90 minutes. And we start from the very beginning. And we talk about toasting and navigating place setting and how you enter your chair and how you use your napkin. We definitely talk about styles of dining. That's how you hold your utensils. As Dorothea Johnson, the founder of the Protocol School of Washington says, it looks like you've been somewhere. And so we do that and we go through the courses. We start with soup, salad, entree, and dessert. For salad, we always eat American style because in the United States, you can cut your lettuce. When you travel abroad, they don't. And then the entree is continental style, which is how the rest of the world dines outside of the United States. And then dessert, toasting, talking about when and how you toast. If you're hosting a client or you are celebrating someone in the office, when and how you do that. Do you talk about having to get up from your chair and excusing yourself? Oh, that's great. I love that. Okay, so let's head over to the digital world real quick. Texting is very prominent. Email is very prominent right now in the business world. From an etiquette standpoint, are they pretty similar in how you would communicate with people? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I think the tools are relatively the same. How we use them and expectation is different. Exactly. So... And it's funny because, you know, I've started these teen programs taking everything that I'm seeing in the workforce and trying to empower a generation differently. And we're actually working on these two things. They have to send me an email and they also have to text. Really? Mm -hmm. An email is very similar to a letter. It was kind of emerged out of the age of letter writing. And so the idea that the subject line needs to be, and it kind of depends, you know, it should be attention grabbing if you're needing something but it also needs to be true to whatever you're writing about. The greeting and opening it with hello, hi, someone's name. Dear? <laughs> no, no dear. That's dear Mindy. That's right. <laughs> dear, comma, Mindy, comma. <laughs> As I say to my students, you can say hi, never hey. Oh, really? Darn. So, <laughs> Depending on the relationships I have, I'll be like, oh, hey, Mindy, yeah, what's up? Depending on the relationship, especially when you're talking about emerging professionals yeah. or that element of respect yeah. for the hierarchy is really important. Okay. And then, you know, getting into the business, but never writing it like a text or just opening it up as yeah, if it like, were a text. So like slang or abbreviations, things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Also with emails, when you are kind of an emerging professional or a college student or a teenager, you want to be careful with saying first names. So that's you usually, if someone's signature has a first and last name, mm-hmm. the rule is is that you would say, 
Mr. Mrs. Doctor, whatever, until that person signs off with their first name, really? which is non-verbally saying, you can call me by my first okay, so name. Okay, so if I'm writing you, I'd say, dear Mrs. Lockard. Mm-hmm. Well, or not, not dear, not like, hi, Mrs. Lockard. Right, and this is more for emerging professionals okay. or college students, okay. you know, you're not... Or if, like, what if you're emailing the president of the yes. company and you've never exactly. met... Exactly. Like, if you're a new employee... Right. Well, how are you going to... Well, and you email? know, it's we're on a first name basis. I mean, that's kind of that we're equals. And so that person then, if they're uncomfortable with that, will say, call me by my first name, or they'll sign off on the email with their first name. And that's your permission to then be on a first name okay. basis. Yeah. You talk about the subject line stating what's in the email, right? How do you like to intro, whether it's hi or you already said, don't do dear. How do you like to do that intro and then sign off? I see all sorts of stuff and it's actually kind of obnoxious how much it varies. It really does vary. I always encourage my clients to err on the side of formality. And then you kind of take your lead from the most senior person. So Start with formal and then modify your behavior to the most senior person. You know, when I'm teaching teenagers, I say, hello, comma, name, comma, and then something like, I hope you're having a nice day. And then you get into the business and always sign your name. I always say best, comma. Best. Okay. Mindy. Okay. Thanks, comma. Thank you. Yes. Hope absolutely. this helps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Depending on what the context is. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Just good. friendly. I mean, when we look at, you know, studies show that 7% of how someone experiences us is the words we say, 38% is our tone and 55% is our nonverbal body language. And I'm very business oriented, but I will have to go, I read through my email and then sometimes I have to go back in and add something a little bit friendly because I always want to make sure that the tone is positive. And even though it's positive when I'm writing it, I'll go back and read it and think this seems really dry or cold. And I just want to make sure that that's not how it's coming into someone's space. An email is coming into their workplace. It's coming into their home. And so could be the, the first time you're ever interacting exactly. with somebody too. And it's energy. People's moods are shifted based on the energy that we put out there. And I just always want to make sure that the person's experience with me feels positive. And it feels like you also. I'm so glad you mentioned the tone because I was going to ask you earlier, overusing exclamation points and putting smiley faces in there. I do it a lot because I want people to know that I have a positive tone. I'm like almost like I'm smiling on the other end. Like I'm happy that we're communicating. I'm not mad at you. I've received emails from people, even, you know, people I work with here, you know, hopefully they're not listening, but where it feels like they're mad at me. It's cold. I hate that. It's cold. It's funny you say <laughs> that because usually when I go back through an email, I have to take out exclamation points. Because that's really how I feel. I honestly just excited about it. And I love people and I'm excited to be connecting. But again, you know, the all caps and exclamation points, those things we do have to kind of be careful of. And you also want to, again, like I said, you want to play to the tone of whomever is sending it especially if you're communicating with people on the East Coast, you know, just even within our country, there is a difference in styles. And there's times from a West Coast style communicating with East Coast, I have to tell myself, this is just a New Yorker. This is just how they're doing it. (laughs) They don't hate me. Yeah. We're just 
getting down to business. And then I'll just modify my behavior. It's funny because in doing this podcast, I communicate with people all over the country and actually international too. And it's amazing how people's styles on email are so different. Yeah. And this is what etiquette does. You know, etiquette allows us to get over ourselves, get out of our own head and just say, this is just business. This is just an email. And I'm not going to read into this. We have a task at hand. I'm going to just roll with this and assume that it's okay unless someone tells me otherwise. And this gets into a whole kind of some of the things we're working on with teenage girls. But this idea of I can't overthink this. Yeah. It's funny, and we'll go here in a second, but I would think like for people who haven't been trained on proper etiquette, whether it's dining or email or whatever, you tend to look at other people, how they're doing it. And then those are kind of the cultural norms at at some point. So like if I come into an organization, I was an email heavy before I came here 10 years ago, and I started paying attention to how people were signing off and things like that. And I sort of adapted that. How much of an issue is that particular thing where you have these little micro cultures of people either the way they behave or communicate? And it's not necessarily the proper way, but it's how they do it. Well, I think that, you know, etiquette is fluid. And so like you were saying, within companies, there is a culture of etiquette. And I think that This is where knowing the rules allows you to adapt. So dining is a great example. You don't go to McDonald's and eat like you would at the White House. (laughs) Could you imagine? No, it's ridiculous. You shouldn't. (laughs) You're in New York City, standing on the street corner, you fold your pizza in half and you eat it because that's the cultural norm there. But if you go into an Italian restaurant and you're served a knife and fork, then you know that that's how you're supposed to use it. And that's why having an awareness and a baseline of the most formal way allows you to always flex your start right correctly and then adapt. I love that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, we covered a lot. This is usually not an hour long podcast, but we're almost there. (laughs) Any other tips before we go that you would think like people and especially in the workplace need to know this because the audience got small business owners, we've got senior leaders, we've got HR people listening to this podcast. Anything that you'd want to tell them that they need to give to their people? Yes. And we didn't really cover this, but one of my favorite things and something that I feel like covers a multitude of, I would say, etiquette, indiscretions, or confusion is our fear of saying we don't know. And it's very similar to what you were talking about when you come into a culture Oftentimes, and when we talk about informational interviews and networking, people show up almost like they're selling themselves and showing up to a space with humility to stop and learn and look and ask questions to say, tell me more about this. Not only do I want to learn from you, but I also really want to learn the culture of this space so I can be respectful to that. We are afraid to say we don't know because it's going to make us look weak. But continuing to do behavior incorrectly actually is worse. It's way worse. You don't look weak, actually. It's stronger to say we don't have to apologize. There's an over-apologizing that happens. We don't have to say I'm sorry a hundred times. All we have to say is tell me more. Yeah, I love that. So I think for employers, they could say, you know, this is how we do things here. It's okay to say I don't know. And to speak up. Please, please do. And we can help correct it before it becomes an issue. That's the one thing that I tell my college students and my high school students is show up to a space humble and hungry. Have them 
look like you care about the culture and the people and you want to learn from them. Because people have, especially people who are senior executives, they have lived a lot of professional life. They've made a lot of mistakes. And when you're curious to learn from other people and you want to know about them and their lives, that is truly that 85% of your job success. And you're going to weave the tightest network possible. Mindy, this has been so much fun. I, <laughs> I told you I could talk a lot. No, this is great. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you did. Where can people learn more about you? You've got a website, I'm sure. Anything about events you're doing or how people can get in yeah. touch with you? I do have a website, mindylocker.com. And I do corporate work. I don't do any programs just independently, but I definitely... Like one-on-one -on -one coaching of some sort? Oh, I do do one-on-one oh, -on -one okay. coaching. Yes. I actually have a year-long program for emerging professionals with one-on-one -on -one coaching where we map out networking and actually help them identify even within industry, their specific area that they're interested in want to go into. Because a lot of professionals spend years in the right industry, but the wrong niche of that industry. So I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, or I definitely go into companies and shake it up. Okay. Well, if you're listening and you want to get in touch with Mindy, go to her website, reach out to her. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go give Mindy some love. Give us a five-star review. Let us know how Mindy was on the podcast. And if you learned anything, I think that's the most important part. Share this on social media. Mindy, you on like Twitter or Facebook or anything yes. like that where people connect Instagram, with you? Instagram, Mindy Locker. Twitter, The Gracious Girl. and That's easy to remember. I like that. Yes, on cool. Facebook. Mindy all right, Locker. we'll link to all that stuff. Mindy, thanks for coming on. Thank Appreciate you. It. This was so fun.